0: Hey, this episode is dedicated to Emma Jansen. She's at Emma Jansen on Twitter. That's J-A-N-Z-E-N. She's a journalist, editor, and photographer. This episode is dedicated to her for a generous retweet of episode 289 with Annalise Jolly and Zahara Gomez. Thank you, Emma. And hey, before we dive into the interview, I want to remind you that the submission deadline for issue three of the audio magazine has been extended. To December thirty first, which means you got like a week, man. Theme is heroes. Essays must be no more than two thousand words submitted as a written document. If it's accepted, we will worry about the recording process later. So bear in mind, though it is a written submission, that it is an audio essay, so pay attention to how the words tumble out of your mouth. Email your submission with Heroes in the subject line to creative nonfiction podcast at gmail dot com. Oh, by the way, I pay writers too. I mean it's, you're not going to be able to retire on it, but you'll be able to get yourself some sick-ass burritos. Dig. Uh,
1: am I the Weird Al of creative writing? No, I don't know. Well, that's okay if I am. That would be a compliment, right?
0: That's now the teaser for this episode <laughs> when it comes out. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're in for it, C.N. Heffers. This is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast, the show where I speak to badass people about the art and craft of telling true stories. I'm Brendan O'Meara. How's it going? Sonia Huber, she returns. This time, she's got a new memoir called Supremely Tiny Acts, a memoir of a day. It's published by Mad Creek Books. It's a remarkable book. And one of my favorite reading experiences of experiences of the year pardon my stumbling i read about close to 50 books i would say by the end of this year and the next week or so i'll probably put away about 45 and it was definitely right up there with you know punch me up to the gods is probably my favorite uh, the part that burns by janine olette was fantastic supremely tiny axe it's right up there man right up there sonya zayn essayist, creative writing professor, an author of Pain, Woman, Takes Your Keys, Cover Me, a health insurance memoir, and Opa, Nobody. You know when you look up into the sky and there's a, a ton of stars, but then you see a wicked bright one, and you're like, fuck, that's a wicked bright star. That's Sonia Huber, but we'll get to her in a moment. Support for the Creative Nonfiction Podcast is brought to you by... West Virginia Wesleyan College's low-res MFA in creative writing. Now in its 10th year, this affordable program boasts a low student-to-faculty ratio and a strong sense of community. Recent CNF faculty include Randon Billings Noble, Jeremy Jones, and CNF pod alum Sarah Einstein. There's also fiction and poetry tracks. Recent faculty include Ashley Bryant-Phillips and Jacinda Townsend, as well as Diane Gilliam and Savannah Sippel. So no matter your discipline, if you're looking to up your craft or learn a new one, consider West Virginia Wesleyan. Right in the heart of Appalachia. Visit mfa.wvwc.edu for more information and dates of enrollment. Oh, and if you head over to brendanomero.com, hey, you'll find your show notes to this episode and a billion others. And you can also sign up for my up to 11 monthly newsletter. It's this thing I've been doing for like 10 years. It's changed a bit over the years, but it's it's rock-steady recommendations raffles, exclusive happy hour, cool links to articles, some things I've done, mainly things that I've admired and curated over the course of a month that I want to share to you, share with you. First of the month, no spam. As far as I can tell, you can't beat it. And you can always keep the conversation going on the socials, at CNFpod, on the Twitters, and at Creative Nonfiction Podcast on Instagram. If you have a moment, consider leaving a kind review on Apple Podcasts. We've stalled out a little bit. Listen, a podcast like mine, it feeds off the kindness of reviews. I have no name recognition. You know this. I mean, my name is really cool, and it looks great in print. But people are still like, who? Who are you? But if they see a giant pile of nice written reviews, and there is a big pile considering the amount of reviews that are there... The wayward CNFer will be like, well, shit, I got to give this a try. So, and if you do leave that review, I'll read it on the air. It's only fair. I'm not a monster. And Patreon, you know this, is how we subsidize the enterprise and keep the lights on here at CNF Pod HQ. It's how we pay writers that fat burrito money for the audio magazine. Also, members get to ask questions of guests, and I, I give you credit for that. Like I said, I'm not a monster. There's transcripts, too. I'm sorry I'm a little behind, but yes, you get transcripts. uh, There's coaching available and the knowledge that you're helping the community. And I'm also working on some other fun goodies, uh, exclusive stuff, maybe video stuff, maybe crafty stuff. I don't know. That's the fun part. And when you're a part of the Patreon community, you get that little peek behind the curtain. All right. One more sponsor. This show is brought to you by the word allurophile, a person who likes cats, a cat fancier. I'm sure you know one or two Uh, allurophiles. It's a tricky word to spell, and it's even harder to pronounce for me. It's a funny word. All right. You know... Riff at the end of the show. So for now, let's get to the main course. This is episode two hundred ninety-three with Sonia Hoover. Huh. Yeah, how have you over the years learned to embrace the book promotion part of? The book publication
1: well what i did this time you know instead of doing readings i like was off i've been offering free classes and that's been so awesome and so different because uh i just like i sort of am encouraging people to do this thing where they're writing what happened to them during the same day that we're doing the workshop Mm -hmm. And so it's really nice. Like people talk about their lives and share. It doesn't feel like it's all about me, which is the part of book promotion that I really don't like.
0: That's a really clever way to go about it. Uh, I, uh, for for me personally, I'm not a huge fan of author readings.
1: Me neither. Me neither at all. I kind of hate them.
0: Me too. They, I, I can't pay attention. I, I, I tend to, it, not literally fall asleep, but sometimes fall asleep right. i I find them kind of boring, yeah, but i I much prefer, and this happens infrequently, but I much prefer the author just kind of giving a a mini lecture or something yeah. about the book and about the process of the book, and maybe something that's sort of a I don't know, sort of tangential to the book, but an actual reading from the thing is not going to get me to want to buy the book. I'd rather just kind of hear the author riff on cool things that they're interested in.
1: Totally, yeah. And this is nice because it feels like, I don't know, it's just like it's getting to be with other people, even though it's on Zoom and it's interactive. So, yeah, but I also, readings just feel the same, like sort of artificial and stiff. And uh, I'm not good at sitting still. (laughs) <laughs> Ever,
0: <laughs> Yeah. And uh, well, to, to your point about a little bit of uh, that, that, that writing uh, about, about it, about your day or whatever mm-hmm. these classes you're doing, that was, that was kind of like what you had, uh, had us do at your camp talk a bit, you know, you had us inter intermixed with, you know, you talking about, right. what, you know, what you're talking about, you had us like kind of scribble in these little cute little notebooks that you handed out. So right. know, how, how did you arrive at that as as something that you wanted to do?
1: I just, well, I started thinking about, you know, the theme of the book and then, um, you know, sort of about, like, writing the mind at work as Philip Lopate advises us to do. And then, you know, I think a lot of my teaching these days is grounded in that. I think partially, too, because it took me so long to sort of feel like I had the authority to just talk about the random shit in my head. So Mm -hmm. then that's the thing that I really want, like, to give to other writers is, like, just say what you're thinking about and all the crazy stuff in your head.
0: I think that helps people get over this idea that everything that they write has to be precious and perfect. Totally. It's it's just, like, you got to let it rip. You you know, if you're not writing bad writing, you're never going to get anything good out.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I'm, you know, like... Whatever, a couple words out of every paragraph. If I can keep some of them, that's great. But yeah, no, nothing comes out pretty. <laughs>
0: no, not at all. <laughs> but they, you know, there are those, there are those moments every now and again that you would have never gotten to had you not just sat there and written a bunch of shitty sentences and paragraphs. You're like, oh, that is okay, and then you build on that. It's, exactly.
1: Uh... And then you also sort of, I don't know, like. That Yeah, that's the uncovering process of sort of disagreeing with yourself, you know, and saying like, well, I think this. No, wait, do I really think this? You know, and kind of digging a little bit. And then, yeah, then you learn stuff about yourself.
0: Yeah, and it's a, you know, a lot of people talk about the whole... You know, your writing is just reveal. it's taking a piece of marble and then revealing what's inside it or whatever. But mm-hmm. the thing is you have to build up the marble first, and then you can kind of refine it. So that's, like, the hard part is, like, just getting enough marble done so then you can start shaping it.
1: Yeah, which is sort of what? Like, some sort of huge geologic process over eons, right? That's not easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. It's like – that is so perfect. Yeah, like we – There has to be some volcano erupting (laughs) that is terraforming the earth.
1: (laughs) Creatures have to die. All kinds of microscopic sea creatures or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, I love it. (laughs) You know, this morning I was reading an interview with uh, Dave Eggers about his his latest book. And I think this one will appeal to you. Uh, He said... uh, because he was talking about how bad it is that so much in social media is so performative and everyone's just mm-hmm. over recording themselves. And mm-hmm. like, you can't be creative if you're just shining a camera on you the whole time.
1: Totally. And, uh,
0: but it's it, so th- this quote was, uh, but to create, you have to tap into the anarchist part of yourself. Ah! There, there can't be rules and there can't be anyone looking over your shoulder. And when I read the anarchist part, I'm like, Son- Sonja's, <laughs> gonna, Sonja's gonna love this. <laughs>
1: And now, you know, right. Oh my gosh. My, my crazy varied past. Yeah. And I totally, you have to like, like just put aside the idea of an authority judging you, you know, and judging what's on the page. What I, which I, you know, tragically, I think like that's what we give children through K through 12 education is like, I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing it right. You know? And then I had a student uh, this semester in creative nonfiction He turned in this amazing essay called I Hate English. And it was just about like how he was basically told over and over again, you're not a good writer. You don't have a clear thesis. And I was like, guess what, dude, you're a good writer, you know, but like people get so alienated from their own means of production.
0: Yeah, well, there's there's so much in order to become. a a competent writer uh, so much of it comes down to unlearning everything that Mm -hmm. you've learned in the past and that can even you know not to knock on MFA programs too but I think there's a there's a tendency and I I think that I love the MFA program I attended but I think I was I lost my voice in the trying to do whatever it was I was doing and then it took Mm -hmm. about two years for me to kind of get back to where I the to to like the core of who I was as a, as a writer, and maybe totally. I had to go through that crucible. But that I feel to like there too. is a lot of unlearning, right?
1: Yeah, and and I think like it's like I think too, it's all it's about like understanding that y- your instincts are good, and like which instincts to follow, right? And to so, so, like that balance between taking in feedback from from other people. But also really getting a sense of what you do well, which I feel like is really hard.
0: What would you identify as the things that you do particularly well that you know you can double down on?
1: Oh my god. I wish sorry, I just made this face. I almost hurt myself because I was rolling my eyes at myself. Like, oh my God, what? I mean, I really like I'm not in touch with any of that right now. What do I I don't know. I mean I I'm pretty profane. Uh I have a low <laughs> standard. I don't know. Okay, I will say this: like I'm pretty good at a tangent. Yeah.
0: Well, that I your your I think your new book is these tangents that <laughs> that come around and bend back on themselves and get us back to our through line and and everything. It's it's really a remarkable piece of work. When you say you know it's a memoir of a day, but it really just it goes off into all these wonderful directions and still comes back to our. To our, it, it's almost like that 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 paddle ball thing game oh, with yeah! the balls. The ball's on a string, so ah! it's thrown out, but it's always. I coming love back. that.
1: Oh my god, that's so great! Yes, I love <laughs> that as an image, totally. Yes.
0: So w- when you were approaching the the synthesis or the idea of this book, like how did how did you arrive at this? As, as it, that it would be a memoir of a day, but you know, go off on these spurs.
1: First, I was obsessed with this novel Nicholson Baker's The Mezzanine. And like it's it's a random novel. It's a real little thin book. It's about like nothing. Like this guy's at work and on his lunch break he goes and buys shoelaces and milk. Like nothing happens in this book, but it was it's so good because it's so it's like the fingerprint of thinking, you know, the whole the the stream of consciousness. And I think the bar was really low in that, or it seemed to be low. I think there was probably a lot of Like, you know, it's a ton of drafting behind the scenes, but it seemed so approachable on the surface that I was like, oh, I want to do that in nonfiction. And then, yeah, it took like 10 years for me to think like, how would I do that? I have no idea. And then, you know, about, the, do you know about the What Happened project, Andrew Monson's project? So what he did was he and, you know, I just saw something recently. I think his model might have been some French thing which I have to look up but so he invited hundreds of writers to all write essays about their day and the same day and so he picked like sometime some date in June in 2018, and then like hundreds of people wrote essays about like, whatever life handed them. It was so cool. Because it was, it just felt like like this big arts and crafts project. Like we don't get to pick what we get. Like let's just all play with our materials. And then um, he did it again in 2019, but I I didn't do the second one, but I did the first one, and I was like, oh, I get it, you know. And it really, I I really loved it, but I didn't really think I was ever gonna actually do a book. And then like it wasn't until like probably seven or eight hours into the day that I write about, that I was like, could I write about this? And I thought it was an essay. And then it took me maybe a month afterwards of like composing first a chronology of the day, and then thinking I had enough to expand it. You know, I was thinking first it was gonna be an essay, but then it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then I saw that I needed flashbacks And, you know, of the action itself, and then of the training, and then I decided to just go all the way out on all those tangents. And then I guess the only thing that, like, as far as the tangents coming back around, I didn't know at first that they would return, but I guess you're sort of guaranteed that they will, because, I mean, most of us are sort of, at one point in time, we're wrestling pretty obsessively with a few themes, it's just natural. I, if, I was surprised at the extent to which the themes kept coming up, but maybe I shouldn't if I had been paying attention to what it feels like to be alive. But it ended up being like, I thought about the structure is kind of like, you know how a Brussels sprout looks when it grows? Like there's this big thick stalk and there's all these little blurbs off the sides. Yeah. That's like what I, That's that was my visual while I was writing. Like, it's all going to come back around. It's all part of the same plant. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's a point in the book, too, where you where one of the more rewarding things that you do for your students is give away little notebooks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you write there's something bracing and clean about the rush of writing and the sense of accomplishment afterward. And uh, I just maybe you can take us to that that sense of accomplishment that you see in other people, but also that you feel in yourself, whether you're writing something that's really pyrotechnic or something that is not as precious.
1: Gosh, I just, you know, this happens all the time in uh, in writing workshops. Just happened yesterday with some students. I think for me, the real rush is showing students, look how well this is working. And then having them hear from their peers, no, this is really good. Like have it, having it independently confirmed from multiple people. And I think like, it's only through hearing that, that then we get a sense of confidence of like, Oh this is my jam. This is the thing that I do. And then it's like it, the awareness of something you do well combined with like be, that making you a little braver and braver at doing your thing. Like that's that feel that's what f- has felt like to me in my own writing process. Like I realize at this point that I can be weird pretty well. And that feels very bracing and clean to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, that's with when it comes to anything, whether it's a book or a, a podcast, like the only way to really, if you've found like your audience who whoever that might be, it really it benefits everybody to go out on the limb and, and the more weird you can be, the better. And yeah. it that doesn't mean like being like weird al; it just means being very. <laughs> <laughs> it could be.
1: Although go weird al right. <laughs> Although go weird al.
0: Exactly. Uh. Like, so many great so many, just just eat it Amish, par- Amish paradise
1: <laughs> am I the weird owl of creative writing? No I don't know well that's okay if I am That would be a compliment, right?
0: That's now the teaser for this episode <laughs> when it comes out. But it, but it goes to show that it, it the only way you're ever going to stand out is to try to appeal to a very small audience and be be weird, be distinctive because there's already someone fill in the blank. We need more of you out
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like I mean, like so I always think back to you know when I wrote the the Pain Woman collection, that was the first time, and it happened really clearly for me, like. Being a certain number of years into my career and having tenure and being like, okay, they can't fire me. Here it goes. And I just sort of like let it all rip. And then I just got a huge burst of energy from sort of seeing that even if I was writing really strange stuff, some of it seemed to resonate and it still managed to do all the things that an essay is supposed to do.
0: Now I know that we we established that a great strength of yours is profanity and tangents. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I know for me a big weakness I have it tends to be overwriting, trying to be too clever, or too funny. Yeah, uh, and then it's I have to dial that way yes. back in the sub, uh, subsequent rewrites. And so I wonder with you if if there's what do you struggle with in, in that vein that you always find yourself, okay, uh, let's reel it, reel it back in a bit and get back to really what is uh, really making this thing happen Yeah,
1: totally. I'm I'm really, I'm a, I'm an overwriter. I write really long. So mm-hmm. I'll probably like, I'm just doing this now with another book project. Like I thought I had gone through and cut everything I could. And then I print out another draft. So I'm like, oh my God, there's still so much unnecessary stuff. I mean, I feel like in some ways it's, yeah, it's the same lack of precision I have with speaking. Like, it really takes me just throwing a bunch of words at something and then clearing half of them away to get a sense of what I want to say and to not waste too much of the reader's time. That's one thing. And then the other thing for me is, you know, like vagueness and like, like approaching my opinions kind of sidelong, like, I think, or I might, like, just say it. But that never seems to go away. So I've always got to go back and like steer in from that.
0: To, to your point earlier about, you know, you had the uh, tenure and you were able to let yourself kind of let, let it rip at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, there there was a moment in the book, too, you say, uh, you know, for me, there's a constant feeling, too, of faking it, being a professor when I always feel like the person I am at my core won't pass in that role.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: I have to be extra aware and amped up to build the hologram of seeming professional or right. Yeah. Uh, that just gets right at the core of, like, most of us just feel like frauds all the time.
1: <laughs> I know. Do you think that's just writers, or do you feel like it's everyone? I would like to know.
0: I, I think I think it's everyone, and I think we don't feel like it's everyone because uh, social media has put out this, air, right. uh, this airbrushed veneer of what it looks like to be just crushing and, on the, <laughs> uh, and just crushing it all. And, and so we're like... We're like
1: shit. I'm not. Right. I'm not crushing I'm the anything. Of crushing. <laughs> totally. I'm being crushed.
0: I'm being crushed by the <laughs> the weight of the world has crushed my, my spirit.
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah. yeah, that's just it. Like uh, it's something that we just so wrestle with so much. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, how you how you you know sort of process. That uh, you know, of you know, putting out the hologram, even though inside you might be like, God, am I even pulling this off?
1: Yeah, totally. Oh my god, I was just talking about this today with my with my therapist because it's a big thing for me. But I think, I mean, like for me, in both in you know, in when I think of writing, and I also think of um teaching, like I need people around me to tell me that I am not fucking everything up, you know. So <laughs> students' faces. And also student learning over time is like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And I'm clear about that because things seem to function, you know, and then similar with work, like I'm all about like encouraging my colleagues and that's a healthy culture. I think at least like within the department that I work in, it just takes me checking with other people because I on my own, like, yeah, I, I am not crushing. I don't know whether, how, whether I'm being crushed or not. And like, I really need the the committee to weigh in on that. So yeah. (laughs) Horribly needy as a person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. Jeez. Yeah. Like we just, it's amazing. We can create in the face of just this, uh, this constant need of like validation. (laughs) Oh
1: my God. Isn't that why we write though? Like, I feel like if I was, if I was more stable, I wouldn't need to do this. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no kidding. I I remember when I, one of the animating forces of what made me want to be a writer and a journalist was when I would look at the cover of a book I really admired and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is by John McPhee or this is by Dave Eggers. Mm -hmm. And I got that feeling of, oh, I know what kind of a ride I'm going for because I love those names. I love those writers. And I wanted to... My own ego, I guess, I want to elicit that similar feeling if someone sees my byline on the cover of a book or an essay. And so it was kind of like a need for to be seen and validated versus, you know, just writing good stuff because it feels good to write. It's almost like I was doing it as, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm performing to get some sort of buzz instead of uh, I, I guess the instead of the work being its own validation, it was like, oh, cool, I want the prestige of being on the stage versus the pleasure of having done the work.
1: Right. Oh, I think it's always, like, uh, this weird mix of those two. And for me, like, it's also very much, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like any anyone says anything strange that I do is working, I'm so drawn to that, like, affirmation that I'm like, really? Okay, more! You know, I'm just, like, always chasing, like... You know, approval, <laughs> uh, which has yeah. worked out okay for me so far. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I in the I love in the book too. I there were so many you know things that you riff on so well. Whether it be, it's uh you know the insecurities around privilege and motherhood, and there's a there moment later in the book too about motherhood where you say like you admit, you love your son so much that you went straight to inadequacy. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. I was like, that what a line. So so like where do where does that stem from? Where does that come from?
1: I mean, I think it's just I mean, my my son's 18th birthday is tomorrow. And wow. um
0: congratulations. I mean, oh, you got him to adulthood.
1: It's like yeah, so far. Like every day I'm like, okay, it's still working. It's crazy. I mean, like just raising a little scrap of a human into like somebody who's functional mm-hmm. is ridiculous. So, yeah, I just I mean, yeah, I do think that anything that we want to do well is really daunting if you think about it. And then I think probably especially for parenting, I just am in pretty well in touch with all the ways you can fuck it up.
0: So Mm -hmm. I
1: just, you know, like don't want to do any of those things. And I did have somebody else, someone who I was talking to about the book, who was like, you're really hard on yourself. Like why is that? And I'm like, oh, you know. Oh, you know, you can you can come to me next time. Come with me to therapy next time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but there, I mean, there is that sense too. I think, like, you know, for essayists especially, like I love our our tribe of nonfiction people, but we are sort of I think drawn to examine and reflect and like that just gets you into some whirlpools, you know like some of the habits of mind that make good writing also make, uh, make us more aware of how fraught things are.
0: Well, yeah. And also to get to the heart of an essay or, or a a book, and especially if there's a certain degree of that, that whirlpool of self-examination, like, like you really have to get to a place of discomfort. And and that often means you got to get ever more closer to the marrow and that's just it's a hard place to go
1: yeah and you have to really like i mean that's where your material is unfortunately right it's exactly at the like the growth plate you know what i mean the point where there's a sore or there's like a question or an instability you know that's our plot in nonfiction. so i think too but on the flip side i feel like like somehow i was just thinking about this today after having like workshopped a really difficult student essay um, on Tuesday about a student of mine who was in an abusive relationship, I sort of, you know, on the flip side, I feel like because of, you know, what we do as writers and also what we do as readers of nonfiction, I feel like it's given me some sort of comfort and resilience with thinking about all those hard issues because I'm always like pushing myself toward them. You know what I mean?
0: yeah and you're right too the 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 fact that I have to open up my own heart the live unknowing of nonfiction which is our research I mm-hmm. tell them meeting your students the work of looking into our minds and being honest about what is there, mm-hmm. the emotional work of feeling it, the resistance to it, then the swimming in another person's experience and wondering what other people's lives are like mm-hmm. you know is is that kind of where you know where the where the juice is for you and how you try to compare Uh, convey that message of what is so great about nonfiction is about you know as much as we write about ourselves we're also it's best to look outward sometimes
1: totally and I feel like in in looking at like our points of discomfort or just things that are unsettled like the more we get to that vulnerable moment the more we're able to connect with other people you know and to connect our struggles to other people's struggles or likewise, the joys, you know? So yeah, I think, I hope at least that being able to write that stuff about what we're crushed by is making us also much more aware of just that other people are struggling too.
0: And how do you navigate, you know, writing about yourself in a way that's not self-indulgent but is still in service of a, ultimately in service of a reader.
1: I never want to wa- waste a reader's time. But I mean, a lot of this is just through having careful readers, like my friends, you know, like a couple writing groups. And having, you know, my, fr- my you know, they will no problem tell me, like, Sonia, you have to cut out half of the Star Wars metaphors. This is not helping <laughs> at all. That's where I go is Star Wars all the time. And so, uh, yeah, they'll just tell me, you know, I'll get, we'll sit down and I'll get pages back with big X's through. And that's great, you know? And I, so my friends who, you know, are, are my trusted readers also do that same job of like pushing, pushing, ooh, this is the hard stuff. You know, that same discomfort that we've, we start having in the, in, in our MFA experiences of like, here's the big question that you're circling around, but I can tell you're totally in denial about. And then someone tells you that in a workshop and you're like, fuck. Yeah. And like your whole life falls apart for a second. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the 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 ill-begotten baseball book I've been trying, I've been shopping around forever. Um When my editor was talking in subsequent rewrites of it, he's like, I can tell you're orbiting around certain things here, but you're not quite getting there. Ah. And in order to... And it's like in order to get there, I would have to, you know, interview close family members who are just not going to talk. Oh no! Like it is, and so, so I've just. It was probably I was writing around it because it was hard anyway. But then also because I know even answering the asking the question of let's say my father of just oh. certain things that try to get at that and crack that open a little bit, Oh, uh, he'll just shut that shit down like nobody's oh business. God. So there's just no way in. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's like, what do you do about that? Like, Do you just cut out everything? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's, oh my it's God. hard because otherwise people are just going to notice. Like, oh, I feel like there's something more here. But it's, you're just running laps around it instead of like diving into the pool.
1: Totally. To- I have one whole manuscript that is sort of just shelved because – I I don't know if I have the guts to publish it but the same thing of like I'm trying that so I was just thinking about another book. Oh, I had an essay. I mean, yes, there's been a couple times in my life where book manuscripts have or or essays that are about to be published have caused some major major family conversations. Like in, in one in one case I I published an essay about my dad that I just went straight for a print journal. And I was like, you know, first I was like, God, of course he'll never see this. Thank God. And then I was like, (laughs) Sonia, don't be such a dick. Like, just go, just do it. Be a person, send him an attachment in an email. And it was, it was like, it was brutal just waiting for his feedback because it was about, you know, like his drinking and, you know, whatever. And then it turned out to be this massive conversation that changed our relationship. It was all via emails, but it was a series of things he told me that I assumed would be like, if, if I was lucky, would be like a deathbed conversation. So, but yeah, but it's terrifying, right? Like what other job is like, why don't you push at all the sore spots in your life?
0: Yeah. When you're having those conversations with your parents, there's, no way there's almost no way to ask a question about your past without that question sounding judgmental
1: right and and well like it's one thing if your parents are writers or whatever but like my you know my parents are definitely not and so i can't even imagine what it's like having a memoirist as a kid you know oh god
0: (laughs) well because they don't even know that they were on the record (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes the whole time right like i thought i was just yeah. feeding you and sheltering you oh my god oh god. yeah and
0: again those those times that i was asking you to to get me a beer while we we're driving driving around creation and you're like yeah oh. just and there was a cooler of beer at my feet all the time and my dad would be like oh ryan my middle name you know my family calls me ryan they're like uh yeah, just get me a beer. And I, I, at some point when I was little, I knew this was wrong. But right. at the same time, I'm like, ah, oh, this is just what he does. Right, right. And so I'm here. I'm this little bartender, and just give, him, give him his bush light while we're just driving around. And uh, it's just like, wow, well, that's not normal. Oh god, <laughs> that, that right. Happen. And then you
1: talk to your friends, like in college, and you're like, uh oh, <laughs> right. When you're like comparing, yeah. oh gosh. Yeah. So was your book, your baseball book, was about like fatherhood or? manhood yeah. and oh man
0: Yeah, it's it's um it's a really a a child of divorce memoir disguised as a baseball book. Oh. Disguised as a baseball book. So there's just, you know, it's a lot of a lot of that stuff and a very very early rough iteration of the book too cuz my dad was being kind of difficult when I was trying to ask him certain things. Mm-hmm. So I just wrote my thing, I printed the whole thing out and I mailed it to him.
1: Uh-huh. Which that's and, great. Uh, you did that. Oh my god, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, and it was a draft that was post the vindictive, yeah, v- which post you have vindictive to get past, draft, right? Yeah, uh, but it was still a long ways away from being anywhere resembling something publishable. Uh-huh. I, and, uh but I remember having a a long conversation with him because he wrote all his notes in the margins, just a whole slew of bullshits in the oh, in the corners and really? every which way. I'm, yeah, like it was mean yeah pretty mean oh, fuck. and yeah, and it was um, but it was just his way, you know, he's very defensive and on the back of it on his heels. I'm like, listen, right. like, I'm like, Dad, ultimately, if I've done my job well, which in the end, I hope I will, it's like people aren't going to think about you or or me, they're gonna overlay their own experiences right. over us, right, and we're just kind of a a vessel for other father, son. Father daughter relationships, right? So that was always the way, and that seemed to get him, you know, a little. He, he the the it, his hackles went down yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. after that. But it, but it's been several years since I even showed him that draft. I've been shopping this around for so long that. Uh, I won't I'm not even so sure he'll be alive when the thing actually sees the light of day. But yeah. we'll we'll see who who the hell knows. I, th- I think the latest draft is very redemptive in the end. And everyone comes out OK in the end. It's just you have to show some of those warts.
1: Oh, my God, seriously. And it's so hard. Ho- I mean, you know, like my family are not readers. My mom is. But like without, you know, without having read a bunch of books, the whole thing feels like you know it it just it feels like you're going to be splashed on the cover in the new york times i imagine you know if you're someone who's not in control of the situation at all
0: yeah yeah it, it's very yeah exposing and i i think it's and not in a salacious way but it's just i think he probably and i i imagine a lot of other parents of memoir writers too feel this way that they just, they're going to feel like their friends and the world is going to judge them and the fact right. is and maybe in a moment be like, "Ooh, that's I wouldn't do that." But I can't tell you how many memoirs I've read Sonia where it's just the father or the mother does something terrible. Yeah. But I'm I but I'm not like, "Oh, you're the worst person in the world." I'm like, "Oh, that's just you know, that sucks in that moment." Right. Uh, but I don't I don't hold this you're a terrible, terrible person. Judgment, unless they are evil,
1: right? But yeah. but that's rarely
0: the case. Usually, they're everyone is just trying their best somehow, right. and sometimes their best is awful. But at least they're trying,
1: right? And children are. It's really hard to raise a kid and never get upset or never do something that you later regret. You know, it's 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 impossible. I think. So yeah, that I think that's. But it has to be interesting too, like especially with the topic of like masculinity, right? To be like, okay, I'm going to expose you, right? Like that level of vulnerability also doesn't jibe very well with like a certain class and a certain era of modern American manhood.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and there's no 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 better way that a cert, a, cert, a man of a certain age there's only a one language he can typically speaks yeah. and it's usually through sports yeah. and that was kind of our common oh, tongue. And gosh. then so that's what there's a whole, that a whole thing around, around that in the story. So well, now I want to
1: read it. That sounds amazing. Oh,
0: thank you. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll come out at some point or another. It's, it's, it's been a, it's been a slog to get the right person interested in it.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: What's that experience been like for you? Like when you've got this thing that you're just, it's hanging over your head, you desperately want it published, mm-hmm. but it just, you're struggling like hell to get it in the right person or the right publisher's hands. Oh my
1: hands. God. I've, I've been working on this book about um, inequality in Connecticut for, oh, I think eight or nine years now. And it's finally almost done. But it I went through a big, long dance with um, a big five publisher was interested really early on and i was with another asian at the time and uh it was and you know it's so weird because like crafting a, a query letter or a book proposal is so different than writing do you know what i mean yeah it's almost oh, yeah. like it's the opposite of writing in some ways like so usually i have to sort of plan for a low low running level of depression while I'm writing query letters or or proposals. Like, I just feel so separate from whatever I really want to be doing. And I just, yeah, that's just, I I mean, so anyway, it's been a long process for me. I finally have another agent, but I've had to, like, I don't know if, if I talked about this last time we talked, but I'm, oh yeah, I think I did. Like I'm, I, I often will just take a break from a, a project that's haunting me and write something else which is actually how most of my books <laughs> have yes. resulted from breaks from bigger projects
0: the creative infidelities yes. is what you yes. said yes yeah. so
1: this day book is a is a little recess book from uh from that big uh wrestling with inequality book yeah
0: i almost feel like and who knows maybe this is this is a business you and i should start Sonia, is uh, <laughs> I know with movies, they outsource the movie trailer to other companies, uh, and they and they cut the the flashy thing that makes yeah. us want to go and drop twenty bucks on a movie ticket. I don't know. Maybe we need to.
1: Yeah, maybe they have the formula right.
0: Exactly. And it like, hurt find them. a really good query writer. It, like, see, here is the book. I need a query in a, in a in a overview for a book proposal out of this that movie trailer hook of this thing. Totally. You write it.
1: Well, and I finally did like. For the longest time, I was like, I don't need help. I'm a writer. I can, I can figure this out. And then finally, like I got a new agent and she's awesome, but she was also like, this is just not working. And I was like, shit, I still don't know after all this time how to write a book proposal. So I ended up hiring someone like a friend of a friend. That was the best 650 bucks I've ever spent. She ripped it to ribbons, but then out of it came clarity. And she's like, here's what you do and it worked i couldn't do it i'm like just not linear enough to do that shit. just not what was
0: what was not working and when she reassembled the ribbons like what was it what what did it look like before and after
1: like before before it was yeah here's the thing before it was all very essayistic like i was trying to write the book proposal as an essay Mm. And that's not—you have to be a different person. Do you know what I mean? You have to like, yeah. be the person. Like the, the book has to be completely done and completely amazing in your head to write a good proposal. And you have I can to be just like P.T. Barnum for the
0: book proposal.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I have no level of confidence in anything that I write while it's in process, especially. So I think it was a—it's—it's it's a huge confidence thing for me. And then also, I mean, I write, because I write a lot of stuff that's like research woven with personal story, they kept wanting more personal story. And I'm really interested in the reporting about the causes and effects of inequality. So I was having a really hard time, like, stepping to center stage until, like, this person, my editor, was like, look, here's where we need it. Here's where we need it. And she just said, you have to say something about yourself here. Yeah. It took, mm. it took a lot of really direct feedback and then I felt yeah. like it wasn't just mine. And that was really nice.
0: What would you say your relationship is at this point in your career to ambition?
1: Oh my God. That's such a good question. Oof. Um, I I know when I'm challenging myself and I just want to keep writing books that are the hardest book for me to write at the current moment like do you know when you're just like okay I'm in a war with this book <laughs> yes yes I do <laughs> <laughs> like when you've painted yourself into a corner and then that's where you're supposed to be god damn it <laughs> I just feel like for whatever reason I got a sick personality that loves difficulty. Like I love that level of challenge. I find it. I don't Maybe this is what people who like hunt or play video games a lot or like, maybe I'm a version of that. Like I really need a big adrenaline rush and and that's how I get it.
0: Yeah. I'm like playing squid game with my book right
1: now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Isn't it? funny sometimes you just like be waking up or going to sleep and be like oh fuck you <laughs> 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 you like that constant low level level nausea you're like fuck you book
0: <laughs> oh my god that is like the perfect distillation
1: Like you sit down in the morning and you're like, So we meet again
0: <laughs> like, Oh my god. Just a seething like fuck you. <laughs> Son of a bitch.
1: Exactly. <laughs> that needs to be a writing movie, right? Not like some drunk guy in a bathrobe, but like somebody who's actually like like I've also wanted to just throw my computer into the yard, you know, just like <laughs>
0: I feel like Charlie Kaufman could pull that, <laughs> pull that screenplay <laughs> off.
1: Totally. But yeah, anyways, I mean, He kind of
0: did it with adaptation a little oh bit. Oh my God, that uh, was so yeah.
1: good. I love that movie so much. Yes, exactly. So anyway, so I I feel like, you know, if something happens where like a book of mine gets like attention or an award at some point in the future, that also happens to be the next hard book. Like I'll be totally happy, but I sort of feel like I'm just locked into this. Like that there are books that I have to write and they're my they're my subjects. <clears throat> but then I feel like I only have a set of limited abilities. So if it does something great or not feels like not as much under my control. And I feel like I mean my god I'm a full professor of creative writing, this is way better than I ever thought I would do. So that's enough already. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: when, I, when I see people yeah, winning rewards or getting notable selections for this, that, and the other of things that I would desperately want to be in, Like mm-hmm. sometimes I, like if I had, as much as I want that, of course, it would be great to be recognized in that way. Um, sometimes I think if I had gotten that recognition, uh, I don't know, at 30 not yeah. that i've gotten anything like that yet but if i got it like when i was real young like 28 29 30 I, I don't know how well i would have processed it and yeah. then grown from there I mean, there's only one way to know and there's no way of knowing at this point of course but i feel right. like i feel like maybe maybe now i'd be a little more equipped just being this far in and i don't know is that how you feel too yeah, just being definitely. at where you are in your career
1: definitely yeah. like i sort of i felt like i had a lot of time of you know like just struggling to figure out my own writing and like you know getting publications like we all do but you know yeah definitely not getting discovered at age 25 or anything with a review in the New York Times and I feel like that has made me a different kind of yeah maybe that's the kind of of experience that makes you aim more for difficulty because that's what you associate with writing (laughs)
0: Yeah, or like it's really
1: difficult. I'm gonna make it as hard as possible. Yeah, or
0: that or that weirdness we were talking about earlier. Like you just get a little more comfortable in your weird, wrinkly skin. You're like Exactly.
1: Oh my god, I have this burrow of weirdness I've dug. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at.
0: (laughs) You come up, you just look like a squinty eyed mole.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, sometimes I come up from the basement and like my family is like, Jesus Christ, like what is going on down there? You're like I, I was just having a staring
0: contest with that manuscript, just going fuck yeah, you. Exactly.
1: I'll just <laughs> randomly say to my husband, "Like oh, I hate my book," and he's like, "I know, <laughs> it's okay."
0: <laughs> oh my the god! Hate the hate keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's uh, oh, that's great. Well, I love it. See, this is what I like about the. Guy. See, sometimes I have people on the show, and we we get real granular about. Uh, A particular magazine piece, or an essay, or even a book, and then there are some conversations that are more like this, that are just kind of like, I don't know, we're (laughs) we're in a weird elliptical orbit.
1: Yeah, between Uh, ourselves. (laughs) I
0: I think conversations like this sell more books than actually talking about the books. (laughs) I truly think so.
1: Okay, so post COVID, I guess we're going on tour. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: The 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 Huber O'Mara comedy (laughs) show.
1: got a problem we'll solve it <laughs> bring it to us or else we'll tell you that you're okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh you know what I, this will catch you a little flat-footed this is how i like to end shows and i okay, forgot cool. to prime the pump with this uh but I, i've been ending shows a lot lately by asking someone for a, a recommendation of any kind and that can ah. be a book a movie or a new pair of socks and awesome. uh, I usually prime the pump with the writers, but I forgot to do that for you. But I'll just ask you now. So if there's anything out there that uh, you might just recommend to the wayward listener, you know, what what might you suggest for them?
1: Oh, awesome. So I've been telling everybody, first of all, I just finished last night. Beth. Oh, my God. I'm going to think of, I have to think, look up her last name. Novel, The Pessimists that just came out. Oh, my mm. God. It's so good. Pessim- no. is,
0: is it just called the pessimist
1: yeah and it's really uh, um uh it's it's funny and tragic
0: and bethany it's, ball.
1: It, it's just really yeah bethany ball and uh, i don't know her but like Ugh, oh, she's actually that's an example of somebody like i met on twitter like just because we both seem to have some similar sensibility and then mm-hmm. i was like oh i'll buy her book oh my god it's amazing so, yeah, it's really, like, I don't know, it's interesting. And it's about, like, the weirdness of Connecticut. So, like, oh, I appreciated cool. that. Yeah. And then also, so I did a I did a piece for Lit Hub that was a bunch of different books that take place in a day. I did a whole bunch of reading for that. But the, the novel, I guess these are all novels I'm recommending. How weird. I go in phases where I don't I'll often read fiction, but then I read a bunch of it, like when I want to escape from reality. So I think
0: fiction's so important to oh, writing nonfiction.
1: So good. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a relief too. But so there's this book um, by Kathleen Rooney called Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk. And it's a novel, but it felt like instructions for how to live. It's like this 80-something woman is walking around New York just sort of, like, processing her life and running into random people, it's so good. It's, like, mm. so weirdly good. It's great. So, yeah, two 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 works of fiction I would recommend.
0: Sweet. Well, Sonia, always a pleasure. Totally. To, to talk shop and just get all weird on the microphones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Brandon.
0: Hey now we come to the acknowledgement section, thanks to Sonya. And thanks to WVWC MFN Creative Writing and the word Allurephile. I still can't pronounce that word. Allurephile, I believe that's how you how you pronounce it. A cat fancier. Mm-hmm. Hey, how great was Sonya? It's just a just a boatload of fun. A boatload. Like a yacht full of fun. I talked a little too much in that one, but you know that happens from time to time. Especially when I have repeat guests on the show, it becomes a little more conversational instead of the me asking questions and so forth. But you know, I hope you're okay with that. Sometimes you just have to deal and go along for the ride. Getting ready to wrap up this 2021. Remember way back when and when we bid farewell to 2017 and everyone was like, man. can't get any worse than that dumpster fire then it steadily got worse than that every single year now we just live in high anxiety all the time it's like this is the new normal living in constant dread so we might as well throw up double fingers and say so long thanks for the fish but if you're not feeling entirely bleak I know I plan on trying to do something I've never been able to do in my entire life, which is stop complaining so much. Maybe stop complaining. I'm a complainer. I bitch and moan, and I'm basically a walking sad trombone, and who does that serve? I'm not even waiting for January 1st to start, friends. Anytime I catch myself wanting to drop a real negative comment or joke or complaint or a sick tweet, I catch myself and breathe that bullshit away. I'm gonna mind my beeswax, and when I feel that toxic twinge which I feel on the rig, I'm gonna channel it into something something some good work, something creative, something maybe for me, some maybe something for public consumption. I don't know, but it just needs a an avenue, a pressure valve to go somewhere else, and then just realize we're all just animals, man. I came across a blog post by Cal Newport about uh Twitter-free January, and I'm thinking of doing that just to reboot, kind of scrub, defrag the computer, as it were, and as you know, my problem is getting the word out about this podcast. My other problem is, uh, what right do I have to ask you to share the podcast with your network and your newsletters and your social media and then abstain from the enterprise myself? It's like that time my buddy's very religious mother asked me to place bets for her at a horse race, at a horse track, on horse races. Somehow by asking me to do her dirty work, it absolves her of the guilt. So I don't know what to do. But here's what I do know. I feel crappier for having been on Twitter than not crappy. And that should be reason enough, right? There are people in my Twitterverse who kind of annoy me uh, like they they take to the Twitter to rail on people or rail on an industry or or rail on Twitter on Twitter. And it's like, what's the point? And, and so what if you maybe you win Twitter for an hour? Then what it doesn't mean anything to dunk on people or an industry or Twitter? Like if you hate it so much, why do you need to shout about it on the platform? I just don't get the rationale. I guess I do because you like the attention and you like seeing the little hearts light up and the little blue notification meaning that someone saw you. And that's pretty much what it all boils down to. And they've hardwired these algorithms to pull those levers of us constantly needing to be validated and seen. This is no new insight, but it's just something you... Once you have seen it, you can't unsee it. Or once someone tells you it can't be untold... And as you can tell, this has already polluted my brain, and I'm not even on it right now. I'm here with you riffing about it. Yeah, riff. I don't even even know if it works. Like some days I'll schedule a a dozen tweets, and there will be like 50 downloads. Then I won't do anything at all, and there could be like 400 on that day. So I have no idea what happens. It's all a crapshoot. And I'd rather not waste my time and mental energy in these parting shots on crapshoots. That said, I might keep using Hootsuite, which is kind of like this firewall. To me, it's like a fortification between me and actual Twitter land. Like I can fire arrows over the wall without having to engage with the armies on the other side. So I think I can still celebrate the people on the show cuz I feel like I owe it to them to constantly, you know, put them out there. That's why you come on the show. It's part of the transaction without having to actually engage and mud wrestle on Twitter. Not that I'm like in it with trolls. I just it's not how I operate on Twitter, but it's still I get pulled into this vortex of bullshit that I don't like. I don't know. I'll uh I will certainly Engage in more bite-sized morsels uh, because mainly I want to give people those fist bumps and those props uh, for helping out and for retweeting and for sharing and for trying to engage because we all just want to be seen and I don't want to be a total dick. All right, that's got to be it, right? Why don't you uh, stay wild, CNFers? And if you can do, interview. See
1: ya.